I am Jackson, and I'm a Christian who struggles with porn. And so I was probably watching six, seven hours a day. I was so roped in and so sucked in, I felt like I had absolutely no control. And so it was, it was a very, very low point in my life. The I'm a Christian Who podcast is real stories by real Christians. We're not here to talk politics. We're not here to challenge. We're here to listen to their story and learn how we can love people in our lives better or get some hope if we struggle with the same thing. Today, we're going to hear from Jackson. Now, Jackson is a married man who struggles with porn. And I think porn is one of those things where a lot of people who are in it think that nobody else deals with it. And even if they do know that other people deal with it, we can assume that it's harder for us than it is for other people. And people wouldn't understand our story. Well, Jackson came on and he's sharing how it really feels to have a deep addiction to porn. And before we start, I'd love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Salt, the dating app made by Christians for Christians. What I love about Salt is not only does it introduce single Christians to other amazing single Christians, but it lets you match and connect on values, character traits, and interests, not just pictures in a quick paragraph. The other cool thing is they've got daily live audio events where you can connect, talk, and chat with hundreds of other single Christians on loads of different topics to dating, film, spirituality, and more. I'm actually going to be on there weekly talking about the topics that happen on this show. So if you want to give it a shot, download the Salt app today. And for those in the U.S. and Canada, use my code CWCS for three months of free premium. Wherever you are, if you meet someone special, let us know and we'll feature you on our Insta story and get Salt to pay for your next date. Go on, add some salt to your love life. You've got nothing to lose. All right, so that's a really heavy topic for us to kind of d d dive into right away. But before we get into that, I want to get to know a little bit about who you are outside of that. So what is your life like right now? Who are you? Um, I am 22, recently married as of about a year and a half ago. We've got a kid on the way, which is super exciting. Currently, I work as a pizza delivery driver. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that... It, it, it gets the job done while I, while I look for, uh, for other jobs as well. I'm super involved with my church. I'm part of the worship team. I play keys, guitar, sing, whatever, whatever is needed. Okay, so before we get into kind of how this, this struggle that you have started or anything like that, why is it important for you? I mean, you reached out, you applied to, to talk on this podcast. What made you want to be that person to come on here and tell your story? Yeah, so I, uh, when I was younger, I could have used someone who was willing to talk about um, their struggle and what they've gone through, um, because I thought, you know, I was so alone in in my struggle. I was like, there's no one who struggles with the same thing as me. Like I'm so isolated, and um, I could have totally used uh, someone saying, "Hey, I've been there. I've I've walked through that." and it's gonna get better. Okay, so let's go like way, way, way back to when you kind of think that this all started. So can you describe your earliest moments, like how you were exposed to, to pornography and when it first started to kind of impact your life? Yeah, so I was about in second grade. Um, wow, that's young. Yeah, there was a song that came on MTV back when that was a, a huge thing. <laughs> And it was called Skinny Dipping, and that just kind of sparked uh, some some things in in my brain. I was like, "Well, what is that? What, that's a that's a thing. Whoa!" Um, and uh, from there, you know, it didn't really actually start to pick up. I remember, I think it was second or third grade. My 
parents caught me looking up the term naked girl on uh, on Google <laughs> and uh, but it didn't really start to really pick up till middle school you know when with hormones and puberty and, and everything and, and the guys talking about oh this girl is you know hot cute whatever um, but it didn't really pick up uh, until then I, I know it kind of happened like you know that that first kind of skinny dipping moment I mean people are curious kids are curious so as you kind of move you know but that's innocent in and of itself it's a kid mm -hmm. curious about what something means but an addiction you know to, to pornography is very different so when do you remember it is there a moment that you remember thinking like that you're actively hiding this like you know it's wrong or something like that um probably like when right it out. shifted from curious sorry when it shifted from curiosity into like I like this and I know it's wrong and I need to hide it mm. probably in middle school um I remember I my parents had a big rule of you know no cell phones I didn't have a cell phone at the time so it was no iPod or no uh Kindle Fire or anything in the room um and I would sneak out to the uh, the counter and I would grab it off the counter and put it back before um, the morning so that they wouldn't realize. Um, and so, yeah, probably middle school, sixth, seventh grade. Now, I, I have to ask, and, and I don't ask this to, to teach people how to hide it, but I want to know, as I think I want parents out there to kind of hear, um, you know, the, like, yeah, you snuck out and you took your phone, but you also knew that your parents were likely going through your phone. So in those kind of middle school and teenage years, how were you hiding it and how were you accessing it in a way that you were confident enough that your parents wouldn't find out? Mm. Um, I, you know, there, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, that was probably 2012, 2013. Um, and so iPhones and iPods and all that had only been out for five, six years. Um, so it was relatively newer um, then, but they still had incognito mode and you could still delete the history. Um, and uh, social media wasn't as regulated back then as it is now. And so being like deleting the history, that was a big thing. Um, and I know there's, uh, you can now have you know, parental settings to where if you turn it on, you can't delete the history whatsoever. Um, and so whatever you look at, whatever you look up, it's there and you can't delete it unless you have the password. Um, and so, it's great even for you know myself who's 22 to have that to be able to have that level of accountability now when it comes to your middle school and high school years when you're actively you know hiding this you you know it's wrong how do you think it impacted your life at that time because i i think at the time we like to think that it doesn't impact us at all that it's just kind of you know a a, a side thing that you like to do that's fun even though you know it's wrong mm -hmm. looking back what impacts did it have on your life in middle school and high school? Yeah, I think part of that is the reason why I also struggle with mental health. Um, you know, there's proven studies. Obviously, I, I'm I'm also pre or genetically predis predisposed for it as well. I've got a family history. Uh, I think that definitely played into it. Depression and anxiety. I struggled a lot with depression, and there is a direct correlation um, between pornography. Uh, pornography watching and, and usage and uh, depression and anxiety. Yeah, I think it, it affected me in that way. It also affected in like how I would view other people. Instead of looking at someone as who they are, and I, I would look at them for what they are showing um, versus yeah, who they who they actually are. And I hid it for five years before I even 
fessed up to anyone. So that was five years of like where I would consider myself, you know, using it regularly. So what did your life look like on the outside? Because I assume you you grew up in a Christian home, I assume, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. So I assume you were, you know, going to church. Now, were you like pretending everything was okay? I assume, you know, most youth groups and churches like to talk to their teenagers about this stuff. So what were you doing during those conversations? Yeah, so the church that I I grew up in a Christian household, Um, you know, my both my parents were Christian. Uh, My dad played in the band. I played in the youth band. I was heavily involved in youth. And so there's, there wasn't really any talking about it. I grew up in, in the Episcopal Church, um, which is a subdenomination of Catholic. And so it's very hush-hush about it. Even my parents didn't really want to talk about it. So, yeah, I was, I was hiding it from those conversations, but it wasn't really that hard because those conversations didn't come up. And so wow. uh, there, was, there was no talking about it so there was no opportunity to bring it up and you know me being a middle early high schooler that's not something that you know I'm gonna want to freely talk about with someone and be like hey I'm struggling with this um, because also at the time you know I struggled with having friends and so if I were to bring it up to one of them I was so petrified that people were gonna be like wow that guy's weird I don't want to be friends with him anymore so it, it was a it was a balance there was a lot of different uh, things that all played in, in into this but yeah, it was. It's easy to stay in addiction when the conversation doesn't happen. So, do you think you would have said something if the conversation was brought up in those earlier years? I, I think I would have. Um, I'm I'm pretty open when it comes to pretty much anything. You know, I, I I'm not I'm not ashamed of my past. I definitely. I don't like that what I what I went through, but it also has shaped me to be who I am, um, and it gives me an opportunity to let others who are going through that not get to the point uh, where I did. And and yeah, I, I just I always am I'm pretty open and willing to talk about you know whatever. I, I think wow, I would. I think th- this is such an important like what what you just said is such an important message for parents, youth workers, youth pastors, e- even pastors and and you know mentors in church just to know because the fact that you would have said something but the conversations weren't happening is so sad to hear because I know some youth groups go way too far and they talk about it all the time that a lot of teenagers want to lie about them doing it but the fact that for you they just weren't happening like this is something like you need to shout from the rooftop like parents ask your kids youth pastors ask those kids what's going on because sometimes they need help and they don't yeah. know how to bring it up so let's talk about that time you mentioned that you told somebody eventually mm-hmm. what is the story about how you told that first person in your life yeah my my youth group leader my pastor from sixth through eighth grade was phenomenal at the Episcopal Church, loved him. He helped me through some really um, tough situations in middle school, but he left at the end of my eighth grade year and um, ninth grade came around and they just hired someone quick um, and it ended up being a grandma who became the youth leader. And um, if you know anything about kids and grandmas, you know, they work well in a, in a, in certain scenarios. Youth group probably isn't one of them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it quickly dwindled from, you know, we had a, for an Episcopal church, we had a youth group of like 35, um, and within a year or two, it went down to about five. Um, so it wow. was, it, it went really quick, and we became, um, we became babysitters for her kid, uh, for sorry, for her grand, grandson. Um, and so the only people who were there 
were um, those whose parents were like, no, no, you're going. Um, <laughs> and so that was, you know, my myself, my brother, um, and I can think of like two other people um, whose parent was also involved in the church. Um, and so I really started just asking a lot of questions of like, well, I, I wanted to dig deeper in my faith and I knew there was, there was more out there than, um, than just this youth group. And so I started exploring. Um, I got invited to another church on a Wednesday and I was like, okay, that, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. Um, and so I went and I really realized, you know, hey, like, yeah, I go, to, I go to church. I don't know what a relationship with Jesus looks like though. And so I became saved that night. And that summer, um, so this was about two months later, um, I went on a a summer uh, summer camp trip with this church, and um, I ended up. We were talking in the room, and and God just so happened to position it to where my leader um, had previously struggled with this, and he opened up about it. And I was like, you know, this I, this feels like a safe environment. And so I opened up, and it was myself and four uh, myself, the leader, and three other guys who were my age. I mean, I was sixteen at this time. And uh, it turned out that uh, every single guy in that room had struggled with it. But it just took one person to say, hey, I've struggled with this and, and start that conversation. And so from there, you know, it didn't, it didn't stop because that's not how addiction works. Um, I mean, granted, there's miracles where it, it happens instantaneously, but that, that wasn't my story. And so from that, from that moment on, I slowly became more and more open about it. And, you know, I came home and told my parents and uh wow that must have been tough to tell your peers but tell your parents is a whole nother thing how did that go uh that was that was a, a an experience for sure um <laughs> be like hey you know i i struggle with this and they're like well you know that's tends to be what teenage boys uh struggle with and um but they're like yeah you probably shouldn't go around mentioning it to other people um just because that, that was the culture of the church at the time and um what had kind of been fostered throughout the church um and so it was it was still more of like hey you should probably keep this to yourself like yes we want to help you but like also just kind of you know keep it to yourself and I, I love my parents and they're absolutely fantastic but yeah that that situation if if uh, I actually found out later uh, my my father passed away last year but I found out he struggled with it too but never brought it wow. up and uh so I was looking back I'm like man if, if I could have just had you know a conversation about that with him of like hey you struggle with this too. What what can I do? Like how how can I get better um, instead of just um, some shame that was brought on? And like I know now looking back, that shame was just from him projecting on on myself onto me. And uh, you know I I totally recognize that now. But part of me is also like, man, I wish I wish that could have that could have been a conversation and something that you know I want to. If first I'm going to take steps with with uh, my wife and I's kid and possibly kids when when that comes to it to prevent those situations but if that situation does arise to be open about it and not not shy away from that it, it, isn't it, it amazing to to kind of look back you know you talk about the people you were with at youth group and your own dad and all of this like your support was all around you but because of the shame that a lot of Christians kind of put on this issue specifically, I mean, I, I don't want to call it a male issue. I know that, that women do mm -hmm. struggle with it too, but I want to focus on the men here for a moment. That there's that shame of, you said you felt like you were alone, you were the only one who struggled with it. Meanwhile, everybody around you who you go to for support and who loves you also struggled with it too. And it's, it's heartbreaking to hear 
that you had that opportunity for a deep connection with your dad on that too, and that he probably had some keys to help you. You probably even had some keys to help him. And because mm -hmm. of the shame, you didn't find out when you had that opportunity. And, and that's something that's so sad about the shame about this specific issue is it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. The only people who are making it like this are, are other Christians. So I wanna try to like put, put it into perspective for, for people because I think we can tend to weigh, you know, how bad we were addicted. At its worst in your life, how bad was it in like terms and numbers? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, it was rough. Um, it was, I had a, a falling out with uh, the church that I was attending at the time. This was March of 2020. And um, if you know anything about March of 2020, the world <laughs> absolutely changed right after that. Yep. <laughs> and um, so I had a falling out with the church. I tried a church for a Sunday um, and then everything shut down. And so when you lose, uh, this was I, 2020, which I was 19 at the time, um, or I, I was 18 turning 19. I lost what I thought was my only friend group pretty much. I couldn't see... Uh, my best friend who, because I, I suffer from asthma, my mom was like, you're not going out there because you're at a high high risk. Um, I lost my job and I was forced to stay at home. And all of those together did not uh, create a, a good environment. When the pandemic hit, like most people, it felt like there was you know, nothing to do because you were literally just stuck at home. And so I was probably watching six, seven hours a day um, wow, six or seven hours a day, yeah, daily. I was, I was, uh, I was watching. I was texting with other people, um, or I, I mean, I guess sexting. Um, you know, what, whatever it was, because uh, I mean, I, I was so roped in and so sucked in. Um, I felt like I had absolutely no control, and so it was, it was a very, very low point in my life. How does it feel when that's happening though? Because it, it's one of those those things that I, I, I want, I feel like this is relatable for the people who are in it, but also helpful for the people who don't understand it because hearing six or seven hours a day can sound unbelievable to people who are not in it. So how do you, like during those six and seven hours, are you like aware of how time is moving? Like what what is it like when you're in the addiction moment? So a lot of times um, it would be, you know, nighttime, I'd go up to my room, 10, 11, something like that. And uh, back when I was living at home, uh, 10, 11, and I would just stay up till, I, I mean, I, I would see the sun go down and I would see the sun come right back up. Um, and so, especially at nighttime, time passes so, so differently. It is just, it's dark the whole time. And um, it also fosters a dark environment um, in yourself as well. And so, the time passes, but you don't you don't really see it passing. It just it just kind of slips by, and it's a it's a scary scary place to be in. Um, and even looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky that I was able to get out of that situation. Yeah, it was it it just passes by. Feels so different. It just it it goes. And even now, like if I'm up at night, nighttime still feels different, and it still feels a little. A little scary and that's coming from someone who likes to stay up at night I'm a night owl like naturally I stay up um, but it gets to a certain point like past 12 1 o'clock nothing good's gonna happen so up until that point in mm -hmm. in COVID had you tried to get over it had you tried to I mean I feel, I feel like you probably have I feel like m most most people who are addicted have that moment like this is it I'm gonna get over it so what had you tried uh, up until that moment to get over it 
Yeah, so I tried back when it had you know just first came out. I tried Covenant Eyes, mm-hmm. um, and that I still use that now. It's gotten so much better. I tried that, and uh, you know, it costs. I think at the time it was like fourteen, fifteen dollars a month um, to use that. But software isn't isn't alone going to stop you your brain because if if there's a drive, if there's a will, um, you will find a way. Like you know, all right. Let's say you you all of these apps, these certain apps are are blocked. Cool, that's great. But there's there's still usually a way. Like you can't just brute force it unless it's you know just all right. You can only text and call people, and that's it. Um, if you want YouTube on your phone, all right, cool. There's restrictions. If you want certain social media, all right, cool. Fifteen minutes a day, if that. And so I tried so many different things. I tried accountability with people, but I think the the biggest thing was having someone who would consistently check in with me um, versus me having to confess to someone else there's a big different level of accountability like i i could tell someone hey i'm struggling with this if they don't check in with me then i'm basically just keeping myself accountable let's talk about accountability partners for a second because that's such a hot topic because it can be super helpful but it can be super unhelpful and Mm -hmm. in the ways that it was helpful like you said something really profound that that i want to give you credit for you said it was someone reaching out to you to to check in on you and i think what can happen is in that is a lot of guys just want to lie to their accountability partners kind of like get off my back i'm fine when they're actually not fine so when it was successful, what about it worked and what specifically did you need in that moment for that person to say to get you to be honest? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was grace upon grace um, and not coming at it from an angle of shame. Um, As soon as you come at it from an angle of shame um, as an accountability partner or anything, that trust has been broken Um, because if you're going to someone confiding in them and they're like, oh, well, that's really bad of you. Um, like, shame on you. I can't believe you, you're, you're doing this again. You're not going to want to tell them. Um, if you are mm-hmm. shaming someone, that's all of a sudden you're the last person they want to go to. So grace was the number one, uh, making sure, one, you have grace for yourself, but two, that they also have grace for you um, of like, hey, this is a real struggle. A, a, a good example would be like, you know, alcoholism. If, if you are struggling, if you've got you know, a 12-pack in the fridge, and you've been struggling for 10 years and you're on a journey to recovery, stopping cold turkey is really hard, really hard. But the biggest thing is the relapses, not making those turn into longer relapses, making it just turn into a singular event or an isolated event. Um, And so grace with accountability um, is huge, but also not not being afraid to also be, um, be hard on them as well. Of like, hey, you know, I get it, you messed up. One, what can we do to help you next time? And two, you know, like, let's get back in this thing. Like, I mean, you got this. Like, let, let's let's do this. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you need a, a good old kick in the butt of like, hey, <laughs> you got to stop. Like, this is, this is you, you're, you're taking it too far. Um, you got to stop. Like, point blank, that's it. I'm here to support you. But like, that, that is the, the message um, right there is, you know, you, you have to. And so Grace, not afraid of being blunt and also being able to help for the next time and prepare. 
Now, there's someone else we have to bring into into this story because I think she relates a lot, and that's your wife. Because yeah. I think um, every man who's addicted to porn's greatest fear is is when they're in a relationship or going into a marriage and they're not over it. So before mm-hmm. we talk about that, though, tell us about how you met your wife. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I met my wife back in 2020, the same year, um, but it was in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went away to school for ministry, for worship ministry. I moved two and a half hours away to Charleston, and I met her, she was the first person that I met there, um, which is a super cool, super cool thing, uh, story to have, and she was also there for worship ministry as well. So um, that was super cool, but um, we we met through there, uh, through uh, the college in Charleston, my mom immediately picked her out and was like, hey, she's pretty cute, and I was like, no mom, like, (laughs) no, what are you talking about? And um, doesn't that like hurt that, that like can hurt a reputation sometimes when like your mom absolutely. says she is the one you almost want to be like, no, she's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so when I met her, I also I, I mean, this is going to sound crazy and I, I'm well aware, but like I had gotten, you know, a word. It was like, that's the one. And I literally I, I mean, it had, it had to be God because I, I turned around and I said, are you crazy? I, what are you sure? Like, this is really <laughs> A year and a half into marriage and three years later, you know, it, it obviously was. She had said, you know, she thought I was cute, but at certain different points, we both told people like, no, we're not interested in each other at all. But we were still good friends. Um, and so we, I ended up going home with her for her birthday, myself um, and one of her close friends. And so we went to her parents' place and she called her dad beforehand and said, hey, just FYI, I'm bringing a boy home. There's nothing you need to worry about. Absolutely nothing. Like we are just friends. And this was November, I think 12th that I I came home with her. November 23rd, we went on our first date. So um, that was a funny turn of events of, you know, went from, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Two weeks later, we're on our first date. And so uh, from there, you know, we we got engaged in October of 2021. Uh, We got married in May. Um, and then we found out we were expecting in March of this year. So wow, that's awesome. Well, c- congratulations on that. But I, I want to ask when you met in in August and, and November. I think one thing a lot of especially single guys can think who have a pornography addiction is they think I'm just lonely. Once I'm in a relationship and get married, this is going to go away. Where was your addiction at while you guys were dating? So I think every time you hit a, a new milestone in life of like. Um, I know I told myself so many times, you know, oh, I'm dating someone now. It's done. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And then I, I relapsed and mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't keep my word. All right, cool. We're engaged. Oh, this is great. I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, uh, and then I relapsed and then it was like, oh, we're married and we can have sex now. Like we we're I'm totally going to be fine. Like this will take care of every, you know, urge or whatever. I'm done now for sure. And then it, it, you relapse. And, um, you know, for some people that might be enough. But for me, I found, you know, every time I've said, oh, this is it, it hasn't been it. Because I put too much pressure on the, oh, this is it. And there's no looking back whatsoever. And so every time I would mess up right after, I'm like, oh, this is it. It felt like the world was crashing. Um, and so right as we started dating, I, I think for the first, you know, couple weeks I was like oh well this you know I'm, I'm done with that like that's that's over I, I now have someone who I can pour my energy into then you know I, I did I did relapse and I but 
the most important thing that I told her was, you know, I think it was two or three dates in. I was like, hey, because uh, we knew from the get go that, you know, we weren't just dating to date. It was dating with the hopefully the end goal of being marriage. And I told her, I said, hey, I just want you to know I've struggled with this. And I, I currently do struggle with this, but I'm fighting it. And like, it's not something that I'm okay with. It's something that I want to sit in and just let it happen. Because um, it would be a very different thing if I was like, hey, just to let you know, I watch porn. Like, that's a very mm-hmm. different thing than, hey, just to let you know, I've struggled with watching porn, but I'm actively fighting this. Um, and so that was a big, a big thing for us was, you know, I told her that, hey, I'm not, I'm not settling in this but I need you to know of my past. This has nothing to do with you. This is not because of you, um, because that's also a struggle that we've had, um, where it's like, am, am I not doing, uh, she, she would think, am I, am I not good enough? And I, I always have to say, hey, this was a problem long before you. Like, mm-hmm. this, was, this was nothing that was brought on by you, nothing that you, know, you contributed to. Um, and so I think making sure that you make it well known that this is not something that you are willing to settle for and something that you are seeking help and fighting. Okay, I, now we have to bring this up because you you told me this when you you know t- talked about coming on to this show is you went through what I think is every guy's nightmare. You went through sexploitation, mm-hmm. blackmail, wh- wh- whatever word you, you wanna use. I wanna hear you say what happened Mm-hmm. in this uh, in the, this blackmail because i i think that it, uh you know there's there's pornography but there's also an addiction with the sexting and you know and and mm-hmm. chatting with other people and either way blackmail can happen but you went through every guy's nightmare tell us what happened yeah so it was also march of 2020 it was either march or april and um, those months kind of merged together but it was that same time frame and at my deepest, darkest moment, I was you know, messaging with people and I, I got on a video call and they got video and images of me and they said, hey, if you don't, if you don't give us $700 right now, we will email this uh, or we will share this to all your friends on Facebook, send this to your family, like whatever means necessary. And so at that point, I was like, what is happening? And you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. Um, I think I can get myself out of this quickly. I realized, no, they sent in a message. They sent my mom's Facebook page. And, uh, so I knew immediately wow, they did. They actually did it. Uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they sent it to two family. Uh, I think it was one family member. Um, and, uh, but it was so deep within Facebook that if you, you hadn't like actually been looking for it, you wouldn't have been able to find it. And, um, but at that point, I was like, I, I've messed up. I've screwed up. This isn't something that I can handle on my own. And so I went downstairs because my, my room was uh, um, on the top floor of our house. And I went downstairs and I, I had to come talk to my dad. I was like, Dad, like, I, I've messed up. I don't, I don't know what to do. So we, we went and we called some people trying to figure out, like, they, they're like, first of all, you're not sending them money. Like, that's, that's not happening. Um, and so... It ended up getting you know resolved. They once they they sent out the photo, there there wasn't they had no leverage. The next day, my parents were like, all right, cool, we're gonna call the police, and uh, we're gonna have them come out, and you're gonna have to explain everything to them. Um, and so just like that, uh, the police came, and they had to explain to my brother and sister who are younger um, what happened. And so oh my gosh, you know, I was in this place of 
holy smokes, everything around me is, you know, is, is just crumbling. Uh, my brother didn't want to hang out with me for, you know, two or three weeks because, like, I, he had looked up to me and was like, you know, what is going on? And so every time I'd ask him, you know, hey, you want to play Pokemon? Do you want to play Minecraft? Do you want to play whatever? It's like, no, not really. Um, and so that, that was a big, a big hit um, on me and also just of, um, you know, confidence in myself and pride of like, yeah, this, this happened to me and I have to accept that and move forward. I've told that to, to quite a few people of like, hey, this this is my story. This is what happened. But yeah, from that from that moment forward, everything was was different, and then there was there was no going back from from that place. And so you know, I've I've never touched any of that sort of level ever again. And I thought you know at that time even I was like, this has gone way too far. As you know, as it had, well, this is it. I'm done. Like there's this is rock bottom. The only way up, the the only way out of here is, is to go up. So I was like, well, I'm I'm done now. But like, it's so chemically ingrained in you that even that wasn't you would you any logical person would say that that should be enough. Like that should be a wake up call. And it was a wake up call, but it was it didn't get me out all the way. Isn't it? I I, th- I think that just speaks to the power of of the addiction. Is mm-hmm. you went through every man's nightmare when yeah. it comes to to I, I guess I, I don't want to say just men. Every man and woman's nightmare when it comes to this sort of a thing. And even that didn't wake you up enough to stop. I think you did have a wake up call. I don't want to doubt that, but it wasn't enough to get you to stop. So it's almost like if that's not it, if that's not rock bottom, what is it? And mm-hmm. I think you you speak to a lot of men and women out there who think that if something like that were to happen, that that would cure it, but it doesn't. They're like, um, so let's talk about where you're at now. You've mm-hmm. you've gotten married. You've been yep. through like all this craziness with it. But you you said at the beginning of this episode you are still struggling with it. Even through all of that, you are mm-hmm. still struggling with it. So where are you at now? Yeah, you know, I I think. For every guy, this is this is not something that is just ever going to fully disappear. Um, this is something that you have to wake up every day and uh, decide whether or not you're going to let it control your life. You know, I have I have other friends who have also struggled with this, but uh, for me, I have to make the intentional decision every day of, hey, this is uh, this is something that I struggle with, accepting that and making it so that I. I don't fall into it that day. Taking it day by day is so important because if you get so caught up in the numbers of, oh man, I went 21 days, that's great. But what happens if you become so caught up with the numbers is you know, if you do relapse, like, oh man, I went 40 days without it and then I just fell back in. Is this ever gonna get better? And so I think it's, it's just a daily choice every day that I have to make of like, hey, I'm gonna choose to honor my wife. I'm gonna choose to honor my family. Um, and I'm going to choose more, most importantly, to honor God um, and not let this thing um, control me. I, I want to ask you a very uncomfortable question. And I think if there are any married couples listening to this together, this question will likely make them very uncomfortable and likely open a very uncomfortable conversation. How did you hide porn from your wife? I mean, one thing that's that's very big for us is, you know, transparency. And I try and be as transparent with mm-hmm. her as I can to a certain degree because we've also I have my guy accountability partners who those are the people that I go to because we had a summer where um, she was my accountability partner and that was a rough rough summer it was when we is a summer of 2021 and 
yeah, I mean, we almost broke up during that time. There was many extenuating circumstances. I mean, it wasn't just that, but that also added to it. Going back to the question of hiding it, I, I think when they're not in the house, that is a very, very easy time um, to access that because it is, you know, when you're isolated, that is the biggest, biggest time when you're most susceptible to fail. Um, and so um, I've had mentors say, you know, hey, if you're alone and you start feeling yourself, get out of the house, like just get out of the house. I had a mentor who um, he was like, I will, I will pay for you to go get some food um, or beer <laughs> or whatever, get out of the house. Um, and so I was like, all right, cool, cool. So I went, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings and I, I had, a, I had a, a beer and I think I had some wings. But yeah, I think being transparent, being like, hey, I, I still struggle with this. And it's not something that you, you want to go through, but it's, yeah, hi- hiding it is, is never a good thing. So I think transparency is the biggest thing. Yeah, it, it's isolation is, is the easiest way to hide it. Are there any are there any red flags you think that wives should look out for that likely show that their husband is sneaking things around behind their back? See, I, I want to tread very carefully on this because certain red flags could be meaning that it's something else that it's not this. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that is that is a tough one. I think if uh, if there's a lot of unwillingness to hand over their phone, like you know something completely casual like hey can I see your phone real quick you know to get whatever because that happens regularly with with my wife and I you know hey I need a contact or an address or whatever um, if there's a lot of reluctance of like oh well wh- why do you need my phone I think that could be a could be a big sign or if you notice you know whenever you're on their phone or whatever and they're like constantly looking over like you know is she is she gonna find something um, that that could also be another one but yeah I think yeah, that can be that. That's the only one that I think I could say definitively, without crossing into other territories where it could be this. But you know, I, yeah. I, I don't want to speak into something and cause you know strife in a relationship that that's unnecessary. If you could say something to a married man out there who is addicted to porn and mm-hmm. nobody in his life knows, what would you want him to know? One, you're not alone. I think that's that is the biggest thing because so many men think that it's just them even when that's illogical porn is a bigger industry than nba mlb and uh and nfl all combined so obviously there's an audience and but it's still so easy to think i'm the only one that suffers from this and no one around me struggles Um, and so one you're not alone two confide in someone someone you trust someone who you know has your back um, that was the biggest thing for me was being it like the first time that you speak about it. There is so much freedom in that. And every time after each time you speak about it, there is so much freedom because you're not letting the devil hold you back. You're not letting this control your life. You are actively saying, hey, I've struggled with this. This is something that I recognize, but it has no power over me. And then three, also, you're going to go through troubles with with this to make sure that you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Accept the fact that, hey, you messed up. I accept that. Let's move forward. Let's prevent it from next time. Because it's so easy to have that that hate for yourself of like, I can't believe I did this again. I told myself, I don't even know how many times that this is it. And I did it again. Um, and so being willing to say, hey, I messed up. This isn't the end of it, though. This is not where my story ends. And just because I mess up doesn't mean that there is no progress. 
because if you're watching it every day and, and you make it two days after you've been watching it every day for six months, hey, that's two days in the last six months that you, you haven't watched it. And so that is progress on its own. And so each time there should be you know more progress. Like, all right, cool. You made it two days this time. Let's shoot for three next time. And so I think that is that is a, a, a big thing. So I, I would say, you know, you're not alone. Tell someone, please tell someone, because the sooner that you tell someone, the sooner the freedom starts. And three, have grace for yourself. Grace above grace, because, you know, Jesus died for you too. He used, he used Paul, um, who was a murderer, and um, he literally murdered Christians. You watch porn. Like, that, that's not okay, but, like, Jesus will still use you. You're not out there murdering someone. You know, I think that's that's a big thing I often think about is like God will use anyone. The ones who have gone through the most are the ones who have the most to tell and the most to um, show people like, hey, it is okay that you've gone through what you've gone through. And so I think recognizing that the Lord can still use you 100%. You are no, like there's nowhere where the Lord cannot find you. And so he will use you still. You are not too far gone. Um, so that, that would be my, my biggest thing. Well, oh, married men tell your wife as well. I think that's, that's a big thing, especially, I mean, in a relationship, there shouldn't be any secrets there. So letting your wife and be like, Hey, I struggle with this. This isn't because of you. Um, and I really would love your support on this journey. And I would really love if you'd walk alongside me and know that, you know, this is not a reflection of my love for you. Like at all, this is not. I have to tell myself that as well. Like, like this is not a reflection of my love for my wife. This is something that I've walked through. If if your wife supports you, that is the biggest, the biggest relief off your, or weight off your shoulders. Because, um, yeah, just ha- knowing that you can still confide in them is such a huge relief. Jackson, I think, I mean, th- this story and all you've been through is going to change lives. I think people are gonna listen to this and just even have that one moment of feeling like they're not alone because you just gave a voice to those teenagers, those single men, those married men. You've been in all of those lives and you've related to all of their stories. And I think your story is gonna give them hope. So thank you so much for your openness and willingness to talk about something that most people are just not okay talking about in any sort of public forum. And the fact that you're okay showing your face and putting your name on this, that is gonna have an impact on people. And I have so much respect for you and thank you so much for telling your story. Yeah, of course. I mean, I. If anyone out there is you know, listening and they're like, hey, I have no one to, to tell, there's no one that I trust, you can always reach out to me as well. Uh, my Instagram is at jckson.cpr. It's Jackson Cooper, but without the vowels. And so uh, I will be more than glad to walk alongside you to help you to do whatever, um, because I know what it's like to be there and to have that, to have that feeling of isolation. And so you know, I'd be more than happy to walk alongside.